Hi, I'm Ming-Na Wen. I play Agent Melinda May from Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and you are listening to the big, beautiful, what? <laughs> the great, big, beautiful podcast. Everybody messes it up. It's okay. I blame Justin. It's a, it's a, it's a very... I was like, is there, is there more to the big, beautiful podcast? Ladies and gentlemen, this is Tad Stones of the Disney Afternoon, and I love the great, big, beautiful... Tom- no, wait, that's not the name of it. Hi, my name is Chuck Polinick. And that was the sound of my dog shaking. Hey, everybody, this is Tony Bancroft, Disney animator and director from multiple years ago. The great, big, beautiful podcast has asked me to be on it. Check out the episode with Justin and Jamie grilling me about June Foray and what she looks like naked. Hey, this is Gerard Way. And Nick Darrington. And you're listening to the big, beautiful... Wait. The great, big... The great... I love it. That's happened so much. The great... Why didn't you come up with an easier name? It's my co-host. Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question. Yeah. How did we do an hour on nerd dads and never talk about being a dad? You want to talk about being... Let's talk about being a dad. If you got time, let's do it. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks for everything. And the song is, yeah. It's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow. So that's the reference. It's a very long name for a podcast. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll try it again. Here we go. Ready? Take two. Uh, here we go hi I'm Ming-Na Wen I play (laughs) take take three third time's the charm hi I'm Ming-Na Wen I play Agent Melinda May for Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and you are now listening with me to the big beautiful podcast good enough thank you so much I'm nervous with the Disneyland Affirmative. That was definitely an e-ticket. I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. For a while, we didn't even have a house phone. Not to mention laser discs, high-def TV. You are listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show... No, it's because you love it so much that you don't care. And anything that you don't love that much, you you know what, you're going to, you will give up. You know, like, I know that I'm never going to be the best dancer. I could try as hard as I want them. And and there are things I guess I can do to make myself better. And I think I've got some moves. I grew up in a place where I can still dance, but I know I'm, there's only so good I'm ever going to be. But you know what, that's okay. Because I don't care that much about that. It's never going to be my thing. But when it came to writing for me, like, I just had to tell my story. It, it was a need. And when you have that need, nothing can get in the way of a need. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. <laughs> yeah, let's check our levels here. Check, check, check. I learned that I can't, I can't sit away from the microphone. If I do, then I get super low, so I have to be like... Right uh, here. <laughs> see, I, I have to sit away or else I get super loud. Uh, we're so professional. <laughs> we suck at this. <laughs> 100 episodes in and you would think <laughs> that this would be something we'd have a handle on. So are we going to be able to have like, uh, you know, you did sound effects for Halloween. Yeah. Can we have like, like, oh, uh, oh, I wanted to have like a noisemaker, like a birthday party noisemaker. And oh, I think hey. we still had one left over somewhere, but. Hannah got an air horn. We were so prepared. An Hannah air- got an air horn today. And I could have did that in the house. <laughs> oh my God, that's super loud. Instead, we're going to um, have to settle for sound effects. Maybe I'll do like a hooray celebration. Yeah, I don't think I, we, I can't. 
I don't know where we'd have something that I could just go run to get right now. Yeah. yeah I don't. I don't. Looking know. around I don't... my room, do I have anything that makes a noise that would be appropriate? <laughs> I don't think I do. Oh, we could clink glasses. Um, I have. A, I got a bottle right here. Can yeah, we like cheers through? Yeah. Skype? Let's pre- let's pretend that we're uh, doing champagne toast. There you go, perfect. You gotta get a sound effect of a like a of a cork cork popping and like the bubbly coming out. Exactly. There's gotta be a sound effect for that. There's gotta be. I'll find something. Okay. Maybe like a crowd party. We'll pretend we're having we're having (laughs) not pretend we are having our live 100th episode at a bar in DC right now. Our crowd is just very. What brewery we are we at right now? I don't even know. We're at. (laughs) The, apparently the, the, the closed one. Yes. The one where we're the only ones there. <laughs> no, but um, there's going to be sound effects, so maybe there will be a party happening behind us. Who knows? Oh, okay. Yeah, we're at the most <laughs> happening joint in town. Yeah. So we're, this is episode 100, and it's coming on a great day. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> Let's not go overboard. <laughs> Great day? Not so sure. It's a day, yep. and it's a day that many of us have been eagerly, eagerly waiting just so we could say it's behind us. Right. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm not even American, and it's lit- like honestly, it's the only thing we've heard about up here. It's or, awful. Like, just that, like you. It's unbelievable. That's got to be the worst. Yeah, it's unreal. Like, that's got to be the worst to, like, not only do we hear about it ad nauseum, it's like, mm-hmm. you, but there's something that we can do about it. Like right, it's exactly. our election. We vote, and it's going to be our government. You yeah. guys, it's just like shut the fuck. It's like the noisy neighbor <laughs> who won't who won't turn down the stereo. Well, and then the be- here's the best part is people, and I have friends on Facebook that I've had to hide. They're Canadians, and they're sharing things like they're like they're Americans. Like they could, yeah. like they're sharing like anti Hillary Clinton things and anti Trump. And I guess I'm a little guilty of it, but I'm just more like poking fun. I'm not doing it. They're, these people are serious. Like. You can't vote Hillary, and I'm just like writing on it. I feel like writing on it. I don't d- like, dude. You're not even an American. Like, yeah. what are you talking like, about? <laughs> I understand you guys are a lot closer, but like that, right. I, like I, I can't even imagine me going on Facebook or something and complaining about like the Brexit vote. Yeah, exactly. You know, like okay, I can yeah. understand the both sides, and I can understand the frustration, and I can, mm-hmm. I can understand the story. Yep. But how is it my place to chime in on it? Exactly. And let alone take a stand, you know? Exactly. Oh, yeah. So, like, that's got to be so frustrating for you for, for you guys if it dominates your news. Exactly. And, you know, it's like, it is. Like is. We're like the noisy neighbor who won't turn on the stereo. <laughs> and you're like, please, just give it a rest. Well, or like the dog like... that won't stop barking in the backyard. And, and what's funny about it is I know that those same people wouldn't like it if during our election there was a whole bunch of American people talking about the way right. we should vote, right? Like, sure. I think I just it's, it's, a, it's very interesting how the USA is like the global country. Like everybody feels like they know it and have a piece of it even though they're not there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so for but, those of you who are, you know, maybe listening to this in the future... <laughs> <laughs> and you just kind of went back and you saw the guest for today. And you're like, oh, I want to listen to that. This actually, we're releasing this episode on Election Day 2016. And if there is still a world that exists and you're <laughs> listening, um, you know, and like the zombies have not overrun and, you know, the bombs haven't gone off. Uh, this was the election with uh, Trump and, and Clinton, just in case you needed a refresher. 
Um, but for those of us who are living through the nightmare right now, it's it's it the, the wound is too fresh. <laughs> well, you know what? It's going to be the same. Like like I like to say during the last one, I remember when Obama got elected the for the first time. It was two thousand eight. Yeah, I remember people doomsdaying like this is the end of America. You know, yeah. he's going to put us into ruin. You know, the sun goes well, those, down and the sun. Those, you know, those people were racists. So. Yeah, yes, it's true. <laughs> but I mean, the way like I, I don't know that Trump if Trump gets elected that will necessarily happen. But you know, the next the next day will come and thing eh, whatever. What can you do, right? I was in the car. <laughs> I was in the car today with my daughter. Yeah. She's seven, and she asked me. She's like, so. What will happen if Donald Trump gets elected? <laughs> and I, I honestly didn't know how to answer that. You know, right. I, I was like, my instinct, if anybody knows me personally, my instinct was to be sarcastic and tongue in cheek and be like, oh, the world's going to end. The zombies right. are going to take over. And I was like, no. I, but I caught myself. I was very proud of myself. You know, I was like, she's seven. I can't. Mm -hmm. She's not going to get that. You know, yeah. so um, I, I tried to give her a very uh, sane, reasoned, rational answer. Uh, but it kind of caught me up, caught me off guard. I was like, well, I don't really know. Like, what <laughs> what would happen? And, you know, if you're listening to this, you're probably laughing at me right now, thinking like, oh, God, you poor soul. You have no idea what's in store. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm really, really ready for this election cycle okay. to be done. Yeah. Just, it's been, it's been going on way too long. Get Hillary elected. Move on. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> Forget about it. It's you know. I'm just done. Just I'm done. I'm done. So let's let's talk about. Let's our talk about. Who cares Let's talk about the one and only Brad Meltzer. Now this guy, I, like when I put it out there, people were like, "Is that the decoded guy?" <laughs> and I know he's known from. He's you know he's an author and he writes the kids books and regular books and but decoded seems to be that's the thing that resonates with a lot of people about him. But he's just an all-around fantastic guy. Yeah, he he does. Like, I was writing the post for this episode, and it was, he's just done so much. Yeah. You know, he's one of those guys that, like, there must be a clone of him, or he must not sleep, because right. I don't know how he's had the time to do what he's done, you know? I mean, he's, he's written upwards of a dozen novels that are all incredibly researched, mm -hmm. you know? Incredibly well researched, so a lot of work goes into those. He's written all of the uh, the I am, you know, I am Amelia yeah. Earhart, I am Martin Luther King Jr. Those books are amazing. Those those kids books. He's written a couple inspirational books. He's given a couple TED talks. Mm -hmm. He uh, he yeah he's hosted he hosted two shows on on the History Channel. He found the original 9-11 flag from Ground Zero in New York. No big. <laughs> he saved Superman's house, you know, Jerry Siegel's house where Superman was born. I mean, he's done so much, and it's it's just kind of crazy mm -hmm. if you just sit back and think about it or just look, a, look at a list of what he's done. Um, but I know you saw him. He was at yes. Dad 2.0 last year. Talk to yeah. tell me about that because well, I wasn't there. Yeah, so Dad 2.0, if you don't know, is a – it's a conference that happens every year for online, I don't like this word, but online influencers, and I'm doing quotation marks around my, <laughs> right. around the word influencer. But it's basically guys, dads, even moms come that want to spread the message of what fatherhood looks like and talk about it and have a conversation. And he was the keynote speaker, and he just talked about his books and about being a dad and his career and... He told some stories. It was just, you know, it was a fantastic. I even, t I taped some of it. I think I have the video. I, I haven't posted it anywhere, but 
he told some great stories and you know he was just a pleasure to listen to and then something I was really impressed with unlike a lot of times when these big guys come in they, they just take off right they come in do their talk get out yeah. he stuck around and you know met with people and signed books and he stayed until everybody had their books signed and I, I think he was a class act and he really he's the true definition of geek dad <laughs> yeah I as know well so <laughs> And he even took Q and A's after at the end, like everyone submitted their questions for him, and he answered some questions, and that that was really awesome. And there was a lot yeah. of big fans there, like a lot, ton of big fans. Yeah, he's a great guy. I, uh, I guess I did meet him in person mm-hmm. twice. Um, I mean, I didn't meet him and you know like introduce and chat and have a beer with him like you right. did. Yeah. But uh, I saw him at once. He was at the uh, National Book Festival here in BC. I don't remember which year it was. It was several years ago. And uh, I, you know, I just waited. He was signing. So I brought mm-hmm. my copy of Identity Crisis. Yeah. And I had him sign that and you know, just did the quick, you know, shook his hand. Thank you very much kind of thing. And then I saw him at Book Expo in New York. I guess it was probably last year. Right. And he was there doing the latest, the uh, the I Am books. And I think it's um, the one I have signed by him, pretty sure it's I Am Jackie Robinson. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I've just seen him at a couple different shows like that. But he seems like, I mean, he's just full of stories. Yeah. You know, like, it seems like you could just sit and, and you know, get totally, you know, wasted drinking because <laughs> because he would just have no end of stories and you just right. you wouldn't want to get up and you just keep ordering another one yep. and another one and and he would just keep entertaining you and he just he just seems like a genuinely nice guy and yeah total 100 percent geek dad so total perfect fit right. perfect fit for election day based on the the content of his most of his adult novels right and i think i couldn't think of anybody more fitting for episode 100 Exactly. And, you know, I, I'm like I said about his keynote, I'm convinced that he had like a basic outline for that, but he probably mm-hmm. just like his stories just come naturally. Like, like he didn't yeah. look at notes. He didn't have a teleprompter when he was talking yeah. and it was just flowed. Like, yeah, this guy's, you know, a professional, like he knows what he's doing. Right. He's, <laughs> he's, a, a, he's a storyteller. He's a storyteller. And one thing, you know, as I was doing, I, I we, we mentioned the research that goes into this a lot. Yes. I hope it shows. But I mean, I watch a lot of speeches and and videos and i read a lot of other interviews and articles and whatnot and so you know both of his ted talks are phenomenal i would definitely recommend them but he has this other series of um they're called story time and they're they're tied into the the i am books the children's books that he does um but there's this one and it's relatively recent and it shows him i mean that he's he's not afraid to just have fun so he was recently an invited guest at uh, Barbara Bush, First Lady Barbara Bush, the you know Bush Daddy's mm-hmm. wife, her 90th birthday. So he was one of the invited guests to that. Um, and they later, I, I'm assuming it was after that, they later did a video um, tied into the I Am Lucille Ball mm-hmm. book. And if you know Lucille Ball, for the you know, I Love Lucy show, um, you know, the most famous scene from that series is that scene along with the conveyor belt of the chocolate yeah, going past. Yeah. And, you know, she just shoves it in her mouth and mm-hmm. she's trying to take care of all the chocolate. The video is of Barbara Bush, 90-year-old Barbara Bush, reading from I Am Lucille Ball. Wow. And sitting next to her is Brad Meltzer in drag as Lucille Ball. 
Come on. Shoving chocolate into his mouth. <laughs> That's awesome. I've linked to it in the post for this episode. So if you've not seen this, you need to get on that. Oh, right. Oh yeah, we should have. We didn't even talk to him about that. No, I didn't. It was. I think I had a question for him, but um, yeah, we, we didn't, didn't have. have we clearly we didn't, didn't have, have enough we, time, right? No, we did not have enough time. I, I would. We say this about a lot of people, but I would love to have him back. Oh just yeah, talk more. And this is the type of interview where it wasn't really an interview. We just kind of, you know, talked and the conversation flowed. So it was really, I re- yeah, I really enjoyed this one. Yeah. So we're going to go play that for you right now. And let us know if you like it. I'm sure you will. And let Brad know, too. <laughs> Here you go. Here's the interview. Professionals, you can tell. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, you're, the fact that three of us are talking on a phone is a minor miracle. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. We we did one recently when the guy was in Uzbekistan, and, and he sounded just as clear as you do right now. So I am no longer. Yeah, no. So I'm, you guys basically are like Skynet, and you live in the future to me. Yeah, like <laughs> like, like, like I don't understand how any of this works, and it's amazing to me. <laughs> and like I like I told you, we have way more questions than we will probably be able to cover in thirty minutes. So if we, if you need to, well, I'm going to answer every question, yes or no. Okay, okay. then we'll Perfect. be done in about five minutes. <laughs> I have to say that I'm. Uh, no one knows how much prep we had to do to make this call happen, but <laughs> I will just say to your listeners that you guys are truly um, futurists. <laughs> we'll have to fill them in later what that means. But <laughs> um, I wanted to. I wanted to start off doing research about you. You make it incredibly easy. Um, and difficult at the same time. You have a Q&A section on your website that never ends. It just keeps scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. So it makes it very hard to think of original questions. Um, so apologies in advance, if any, if we if we tread familiar ground here. Um, and also, no pressure, but this is going to be our 100th episode, and it's going to drop on Election Day. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The, the, the guilt and the pressure that's now been come. I mean, that's it. <laughs> If so, this, if, by the way, if this sucks, everyone's gonna be like, "That's what you did for your hundred. So <laughs> I say we go with what we talked about, where I just answer questions yes or no, and we do it in two minutes. Perfect. Okay. All right. Let's Perfect. Do that. Let, let's just do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you have talked a lot about uh, working hard, especially working hard through failure. It's a, it's a common theme that comes up in a lot of the speeches that you give and things like that. Um, I also know that when you first started out, you got a couple dozen rejection letters on the first novel that you wrote. Um, I'm just curious, what kept you going all that time through the rejections? You know, I, I, listen, I still have rejection. I mean, it does, I don't care what success you have. Anyone who thinks there's no rejection on a daily basis, I mean, hasn't read the internet of their, or their Amazon reviews, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, when I started, let's just to fill everyone in, I got 24 rejection letters on my first book. There were only 20 publishers. I got 24 rejection letters. Um, with, right? I mean, That's impressive. Are writing right, me, right. I mean, just people are writing me twice to make sure I get the point. But what kept me going at that point in time, truthfully, was a combination of things. One was I was young and I was stubborn. And, you know, when, when you're 24 years old and you want to do something and someone says, no, you say, well, I'm going to do it anyway because you're young and stubborn and that's helpful. Um, but on top of that, I, I will say that I think it's just, um, it's just kind of my own upbringing. I mean, I grew up in a very working class family and money was a big issue for my family and, and my family struggled. And I'm not talking about just like, Oh, you know, it was a little tight. I'm talking about like where there were moments where we worried about our safety, you know, not, not, I don't want to say safety, but like our, 
you know, where we're going to live and, and how, you know, how we were going to pay for things like, you know, where I remember my dad would own, you know, would go to the gas station and when everyone else I knew back then, even when I was little, everyone would say, fill her up. And my dad would say $3, please. Yeah. And, you know, that's when you know that like, this is a big issue and how are we going to get there? And so for me, that, that gives you one thing and it, it gives you that thing that I, I struggle with teaching my own kids today, but is, is that hunger, you know, when you have that hunger growing up, that is what when I face with when I'm faced with rejection, like that just creates a, a need, and we all know that needs are really hard to fulfill. Yeah. I mean, even today with all the success that you've had, I think it's it is surprising to hear that you know you still face certain levels of rejection. But I mean, how how is but especially when you're early in your career, how do you not just give in to that frustration and just decide to just you know toss it and toss it all into the fire and just go do something else? Well, you know what, if you want to do that, then you're never meant to do this because part of being a writer, a published writer or a published anything, or whether it's a podcast or anything else that's in the public eye, it must have rejection. If you want no rejection, don't publish it. Don't put it out there. We can all write books that no one ever sees. If you just care about art for the sake of art, don't share it. No one will ever see it. You'll never get rejected. But the art of sharing it requires that, the you know, by, by the mere math that none of us all agree on anything, um, as this, you know, election day will show. Right. And, but that, that alone will tell you that you, you can't do this without knowing that that's part of it. And the only way you get past that is if you love it. I really believe that. I feel like the only way you push past everyone that tells you no is because you love it so much that you don't care. And anything that you don't love that much, you you know what, you're going to, you will give up. You know, like I know that I'm never going to be the best dancer. I could try as hard as I want them. And, 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 and there are things I guess I can do to make myself better. And I think I've got some moves. I grew up in a place where I can still dance, but I know I'm, there's only so good I'm ever going to be, but you know what? That's okay. Cause I don't care that much about that. It's never going to be my thing. But when it came to writing for me, like I just had to tell my story. It, it was a need. And when you have that need, nothing can get in the way of a need. So with rejection, often, you know, a lot of people come with self-doubt, like it starts to creep in and people think that they're just not good enough. And how do you separate, you know, feeling, getting the rejection from feeling like you're not a good at all? Because, you know, a lot of the times those two things don't go hand in hand. You might be good, but you're just getting told no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, you're right. I mean, but to me, I want I, I, I want that need. I, I want right. that. I almost want that. It's not like I want rejection. I can't, I can't even rationalize. I can't <laughs> rationalize that much, but, but I will say, let me tell you this. So when I sit down to write, I remember that when, when I first wrote my first book, um, my editor had told me this story that um, she was, it wasn't a story. She said to me, um, I think someone's, it was down to, we submitted to the 23rd and 24th people had both said that they actually liked it. We got all 22 rejection letters and the 23rd and 24th editors were like, we like it. I went to New York and met with both of them. I actually like, you know, and they both were like, we really like this book. And they told me there was going to probably be a bidding situation. And I was, you know, in so much college debt at that point and law school debt at that point that I was, she basically said, stick by your phone. There were no cell phones back then. She says, stick by your phone. I'm going to call you at such and such time and tell you kind of what the offers are. So I was literally waiting to pick up the phone <laughs> So my editor, my agent could tell me what the editors had bid on my great, wonderful first book. 
<laughs> and I just was waiting for her to tell me the dollar amount of how rich I was going to be in that moment. And I remember picking up the phone and waiting to hear this great amount. And my, I'll never forget where I was standing, what the room looked like. But I remember hearing my agent say, sorry, kiddo. Oh. And it just it wrecked me. It, oh, it was no. like a train to my chest. And here's the thing is every day since then, and this is 19 years Every day for 19 years that I sit down to write, one of my, like, you know, we all have our crazy things that we do that we just have to do. One of mine is I literally picture the room when I got that phone call and I picture my agent's voice and I picture the kind of phone it was and I picture where the desk was. I picture the, the view that I had out the balcony over the parking lot at the fire station I was looking at in the crappy apartment I was renting at the time. I recreate all of it. And I say to myself almost as a mantra, sorry, kiddo. <laughs> and I try to take myself back to that moment of my worst defeat. And you know why? Because I want that hunger I had on that day every day. And if I sit down in my chair and say, you know what, Brad, you got some books on the bestsellers. You put some shows on television and you've got, you know, done these things and write these kids books. You've made it, man. That's the death of me. That's the end of me. And that's when I'm finished. I will never create anything new or good again. But when I'm hungry, I'll fight like nobody's business. So I literally, to me, that rejection should only be fire. When you get, we're all going to get it. Everyone's going to get it. I'll still get it. But when you get it, you can either let it beat you up or you can say, you know what? I'm going to use that as fire and that's firewood. And I'm going to put it on the flame and it's going to, it's going to burn even brighter. And that to me is the only choice if you want to go forward. Yeah. Do you find, you know, that's fascinating to me that, you know, that's that you use that sort of to feed the flames. And um, do you find that you do tend to slip into that mindset that maybe it is easy just to sort of rest on your laurels or coast on the bestsellers and, and say, ah, I could take it easier. I don't really need to write this next book. I mean, that's what that's my terror. Yeah. My terror is that. I mean, I've seen I've watched fellow authors who came up with me, you know, who just think that, the, you know, to put it as my mom and dad used to say, it thinks that their shit doesn't stink anymore. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, I never want to be that guy. I never want to be that guy who thinks I made it or I'm good. Because, you know, I tell my kids all the time, like, okay, my books go on to bestsellers. That doesn't make me any smarter, any better, any nicer of a person. It just means people get to read my books. Yeah. And to me, you know, the measure of all of our success, the measure of our legacies, the measures of who we're going to be, whether it's professional or as fathers, has nothing to do with that, right? That is not what anyone's going to give a crap about 50 years from now. And to me, if you lose that perspective, then by definition, you've lost perspective. I'm curious to know, as a storyteller, which you find more gratifying, you know, writing a a tightly controlled, well-thought-out, incredibly well-researched thriller that goes on to sell a million copies and sits on the bestseller list for several weeks or writing the much shorter I am series and in, in inspiring young readers. Yeah. You know, listen, I, I love writing the kids books because they're just my heart and book form, right? It let, you know, when I did these books, the I am books, it's because I was tired of my kids looking at reality TV show stars yeah. and big mouth athletes and thinking that that's a hero. And I was like, I have so many better heroes I can give them. And we did I Am Abraham Lincoln, and we did I Am Amelia Earhart, and we started with those. We're now on our 
our 10th book we just came out with, I Am George Washington and I Am Jane Goodall. And in January, we're coming out with I Am Jim Henson. That's thank, as nerdy as I can be. Thank right? you like, that's so much right? I mean, for that is, that. That is me. That sounds amazing. That is me and my <laughs> nerdiest, happiest, best thing I could possibly do. Um, and I love doing that. And, and I, I truthfully think that's probably my better legacy is, is that I get to share those books with kids and show kids in the real world you know, how to, how to be real heroes and, and more important to show them that these aren't the stories of famous people. This is what we're all capable of yeah. on our very best days. So I love that people take these books and build real libraries of heroes for their kids and their nieces and their nephews. Yeah. However, there's also nothing like, you know, building a house with your own hands. And I love that I get to do the, the I am books, but you know, there's when it's really so much harder to do the thrillers. It's so physically much harder for me to do it. But when you're done with it, you've literally created a world out of nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at a blank page and I, it, I can't lean on anyone's story. I can't, you know, Jim Henson is great because Jim Henson's great, not because I'm a good writer. Yeah. He's great because he's amazing. Yeah. And so I'm kind of, you know, it's not my story. I'm just channeling what I hope are the best parts of it and looking at them in a new way and giving you details when he was a kid that you never heard before. So you can inspire your own kid with them. Um, but obviously it's, it's a different thing. And, and so I can't say, you know, your original question is like, which is more fulfilling. It just depends on what part of fulfilling you mean. If it's on the creative side, the fulfilling is on the thrillers. Cause I'm just, I'm doing something that's so much harder, but on the affect the world side, I mean, there's nothing like those kids' books to me. The I Am series has, you know, taken off in ways I never anticipated because I'm not that special. I'm not the only father who wants their kids to have better heroes than a bimbo on reality TV. And there's so many of us out there. So, you know, the fact that I get to put that in the world, the fact that people send me, you know, emails that say, hey, Brad, this is the first year for Halloween. My daughter didn't go as a princess thanks to your book. She went as Amelia Earhart. Wow. Like, even in my most narcissistic moment, I can't imagine being the inspiration for someone's Halloween costume. Yeah. And, you know, that's a pretty humbling moment. Yeah. Well, I mean, those books also come with that, you know, that, that powerful message that ordinary people can change the world. And I think that that really resonates with young people. I mean, I see it in my own kids. Kids genuinely believe that. There's not even a question. You know, they think that if anything is possible and if they set out to change the world, then eventually they'll be able to. Um, I think, though, I mean, it's obviously people tend to stop believing that as we get older. I'm wondering if you think it's ever possible to just hang on to that belief. Um, you know, you're hitting actually the heart of the Jim Henson book. Uh-huh. And, you know, one of the things that's very, very important to me is that each of the books, when we do the I Am series, um, is is certainly grounded in my core belief. I don't I, I don't care. You know, I believe ordinary people change the world. I don't care where you went to school or how much money you make. That's nonsense to me. I believe in regular people and their ability to affect change. And it's why every one of these kids' books, whether it's I Am Rosa Parks or I Am Lucille Ball or I Am Helen Keller or Jackie Robinson or Albert Einstein, it's not just the history of the person. It has a moral lesson in it. So on the back of I'm. Abraham Lincoln, it says, I will always speak my mind and speak for others. On the back of I am Amelia Earhart, it says, I will know no bounds. On the back of Abraham Lincoln, I mean, of uh, Albert Einstein, it says, I will always be curious. But the most important page of the book is that back page. It's the moral lesson that your kid can use today. Yeah. And the one for Jim Henson um, is, I will, keep, I will always keep believing and keep pretending. And what it says in the, in the back of the book, when it, you'll see when it comes out, 
is that, you know, when we're younger, we think that creativity and goodness are so amazing. Mm-hmm. We tell people to, you know, believe forever and to create forever and be, you know, good forever. And then as we get older, it, that, that thought kind of calcifies. And as adults, if I said to you, go be good, you'd almost kind of laugh. And you think of that, that's something you tell a child, like, why? Mm-hmm. Why should we ever stop believing like that? Why should we ever stop pretending? And that's what the whole core of I Am Jim Henson gets at is exactly that question. Like, why do we ever stop? Why shouldn't we keep going? And Jim Henson stands for that idea because he spends his whole life doing it. So I love that the I Am Jim Henson book takes that question on head on. Amazing. I'm so looking forward to that book. As soon as I saw it. I also should tell, by the way, when you read, when you see the I Am Jim Henson book, like at the end of the I got to tell you this because I haven't been able to really talk about it anywhere because you guys have been talking about it first. But, you know, at the end of every book, like at the end of I Am um, you know, let's say it's Abraham Lincoln. We do like a big crowd shot. So it'll be Abraham Lincoln and there'll be all the people and everyone there and the book that we showed. And, you know, they're all in like this big crowd scene. And when we did I Am Jim Henson, I was, it, the last two pages are, it's the nerdiest two pages of all time. Because I was like, <laughs> I want everyone in here. I'm like, I told Chris Eliopoulos, the amazing artist, I'm like, I want everyone. I said to him, I want Kermit and I want Miss Piggy and I want Fuzzy Bear and I want Sam the Eagle and I want... <laughs> You know, I want Ernie and Bert and Grover and Big Bird and Snuffleupagus, and I want, like, Fraggle Everybody. Rock and the Doozers, and I want, <laughs> I mean, you know, I want Emmett Outer's Drug Band Christmas, and, like, I was like, eh, we may not make a single dollar on this book because we had to pay so much in royalties to Sesame Street and to Disney from for the Muppets, but I was like, it's worth it. Like, we're going to put everybody in there. It's the greatest like single spread that we've ever done. That's amazing. It sounds like the end of that the uh, that the, the Christmas special that they did where everybody, it was all the Muppets and all the Fraggle Rock and all Sesame Street came together and they were singing together and Jim Henson was sitting in the middle of all of them. It was just... Oh, yeah. No, I, it's, I still goal. break up just thinking about it. Just, I love that show. Yeah. <laughs> um, kind of uh, hand in hand with that, though, you know, talking about... Uh, when we stop believing in that point where we sort of grow out of something you, I listened to the interview or the, the chat you, you did with Chris Hardwick on the Nerdist podcast. And you said something that was really, I'd never heard before. Um, you said that for anyone who's creative or puts something out into the world that, you know, uses their creativity, you're ultimately emotionally stunted. I don't know if you use that word, but you're stunted to the point where you're the first thing that you do is released. And, and then you, 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 it's really hard for you to grow beyond that. Oh, after yeah, I think what I said is like it, I think if I'm remembering right, I think I said it was like once you have your moment of success. Yeah, is that I feel like you do kind of get trapped wherever your success happens, because um, I think that in a strange way you stop being like open and you just kind of like lock down to what you're working on because your success hits you. Um, and and God bless you know on Nerdist that was I love hard work for that because he he understands kind of the he knows how to get to that deeper question of writing. Um, but I do think, you know, in a strange way, I, I, my first book never sold. It still sits on my shelf published by Kinko's. Um, but the second book sold and I, and listen, I got lucky. I was 27 years old when that first cookbook came out. And I always joke, like, I don't think I'm any different than I was then. And and I hope I'm not any different than I was then, but I do think you kind of can, can, you know, that's not necessarily a good thing to be proud of. I think, you know, you have to, grow. And the one thing that I, I maybe would even make an addendum to what I said on Nerdist is like, you know, unless you try to kind of get out of there. And I know one thing, I know that I couldn't write that book when I was 27 today. 
Mm-hmm. I just couldn't, you know, back then I was writing about kids, you know, people with no kids and they just were living single lives with a group of roommates like they got out of college. And that's who I was at the time. And I could never even write adults back then. I never wrote anyone's dad or anyone's mom because I would just write them as caricatures and they were comic relief because my parents were crazy. But now I tend to always write from the dad perspective. And my favorite scenes that I write are when I can show like a dad with like a, a teen or a six-year-old or something like that, because I, I feel like I can write so insightfully about that. So I do think, you know, but I've worked hard to get there. I think the kids part has definitely changed it the most for me, but I think beyond the kids part, um, I will say, you know, I, I can't say that I, I matured any more than I am, you know, yeah. than I was at 20 in my twenties. Yeah. You'd say that, you know, fatherhood and having kids in that experience, that's definitely changed, changed the way that you write in the way that you approach a story? Listen, I think, I, I mean, you know, I think fatherhood is, as we all know, one of the few things in life that actually lives up to the hype. I mean, I don't think anything lives up to the hype like being a dad. Yeah. I really don't. I think everything else will be like, your wedding day, it's going to be the great, and God bless, have a nice wedding day. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. You know, nothing lives up to the hype like being a dad. And that's the thing to me. And it's why, listen, if I were a smart guy, I should go write another thriller like The House of Secrets or The Inner Circle. Go write another one because that's what, you know, they pay me money to do and it's hit the bestseller list in in the past. And so God bless, go do another one. That will pay my bills. Um, To do the kids books that I do, they pay me fractionally like so much less to do those. And they take up more time and they come out more, but I don't care. I don't care because I love that I'm doing this thing for my kids. Yeah. I love that I'm doing this thing for other people's kids. I love that I'm giving and putting real heroes out into the universe and showing kids what it means to be a good person. And that is worth it to me on every level. And so I, I, I don't, you know, for me, that only comes from that spot of being a dad. It's the one thing that, that you know, to me fulfills me like nothing else. Yeah. Um through your career, I mean, you've been really privileged um, with just the people that you've met as well. I mean, you've mostly, I don't know if it was mostly, but because of, you know, what you write about, you you had the opportunity to meet presidents and first ladies and, you know, lots of really well-known fellow writers and lots of these ordinary people, you know, in quotes, that, you know, that can change the world. I'm curious if there's if there's one person or one meeting or one experience that sort of stands above the rest for you. Um, of just people I've been lucky enough to. I mean, we've had a crazy year. I mean, I got to meet you know this year. You know, I went to Hamilton and got to meet Lin Manuel Miranda. And got yeah. to, you know met you know the, every person running for president in the last four presidents before that. I've met them all. I mean, I've been very lucky. Um, I'll tell you one of the ones that still blows me away, and this will just show you my nerd, but whatever it is, uh, I got to meet when I was researching, I did a thriller that was set in the world of Superman of all things. And it was set on in the world of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, who are the two mm-hmm. 17-year-old kids who created this character called Superman. These two nerds, right? Total nerds like, you know, like me, like they're just nerdy kids who, they weren't good looking, they weren't popular, but two 17-year-old kids gave the world something to believe in and they gave us Superman. And I was researching Superman and um, when I was re- doing the research for it, I got to meet Jerry Siegel's family. He's, you know, one of the, he's the writer, uh, the, Joe Schuster is the artist who, who drew Superman. And Jerry had passed away, but his family, for whatever reason, just really one of their relatives came to one of my book signings and told me the story and invited me into the family 
And they eventually put me on the phone with Jerry Siegel's wife, Joanne Siegel. And Joanne Siegel, for those who don't know, is the model for Lois Lane. When they came up with Lois Lane, she was Lois Lane. They literally had her pose so that Joe Schuster could draw her into the comic book. And again, I've, I've had private lunch at the White House in the president's private dining room. But man, there was nothing like meeting Lois Lane. <laughs> like this was the woman who was there at inception, you know, and was there from the start. And that was one of those ones where, you know, she was telling me these stories. And she said to me, you know, Brad, all these years, people ask, you know, and tell these stories about where Superman came from. You're the first person that's called us. What? And I was just like, holy cow. And that was one of those moments where you really, feel, you know, I feel blessed every day. But one of those ones where I was like, this is beyond the normal, like, hey, that's really fun to meet that person because they're famous. Yeah. This was someone who I felt like I cared about meeting because I believed in what they stood for and what their family stood for and what yeah. they gave the universe. Yeah. I think, you know, it, moments like that, where you kind of, I, I would just kind of freeze with, what do I even, what do you even talk about? You know, like, I don't, where, where do you well, that's take how a conversation? You are, that's how it is when you meet a U.S. president. When you meet a U.S. <laughs> president, you can have whatever conversation you want, but really what's happening is all you're doing in your head is going, that person's president, yeah. that's the president. You're not listening <laughs> that's to the president. And you can say whatever. Like I remember the first time I met, of all people, you know, Bill Clinton and George H.W. Bush Sr., the dad, had yeah. read my books. And I got to meet Bush Sr. And the first five minutes I was with him, he spent the first five minutes trying to convince my wife that he invented the phrase, you to man. And that's an awesomely funny, like, that's just a great joke, right? That's A-plus material. And, and the whole time he's doing the bit, my wife is like, you know, honey, President Bush invented the phrase you to man. I'm like, no, he didn't. He's lying to you. But even in the funny chaos of it, I was like, he's the president. That yeah. was the president. He was the guy who was down the White House. You're the president. Like, you can't help but do that um, because that's just, it's too absurd. Yeah. I can't even imagine what, what I would be like. Yeah. So you'd be like this. He's the president. That's the president. Yeah, that's crazy. Exactly. I'm not listening to a word you're saying because all I'm thinking is you're the president. <laughs> right. And that's the thing is, and it's weird because you know someone, I, this story, I've never told this, it's true, but you know that you really, really famous people, you know them so well yeah. that you, um, you actually think you, you know them from elsewhere because you, you physically know them so well. So I was actually on the Warner Brothers lot years ago and I turned the corner and this guy came out of like one of the doors and I, in my head, I went to go, I was like, oh, it's my buddy. And I, and I kind of like my, my synapses are firing and I put my arms kind of told my arms to lift, to go give him a hug. Cause he's my old friend and I'm so happy to see him. And this all happens in like, you know, you know, fractoseconds or whatever that, you know, yeah. measure is. But, and as my brain waves are telling my arms to lift, to give the hug, I also realized that the person I'm about to hug and approach is Brad Pitt. <laughs> and I don't know him at all. I've never met him at all. I've just seen movies that he's in. And I'm like, if, I, if I'm about to hug him, I'm about to be tackled to the ground by the 17 bodyguards because he's about to film a scene that I've happened to walk in on. And it's in those moments where you realize, like, I don't care who you are. When you meet someone that big, you, you have this weird, like, you're that person thing going. Yeah, absolutely. So we mentioned this earlier, but today the day that this podcast airs is election day in the United States. And we don't usually get political on the show, but it's kind of unavoidable because today is election day. And if it, if what has been going on in this election and the, you know, in the campaign hadn't been the reality, you know, the terrifying reality, 
Do you think that you could have written a story with that level of imagination to explain what happened? <laughs> Listen, if I tried to write this election and I, you know, like I said, oh, it's going to be the, you know, the first lady of a former president versus like this megalomaniacal billionaire reality TV show star who's going <laughs> to rise. To like my editor would literally say, Brad, throw this away because no one will ever believe this. And that's why I never, you know, when I write my thrillers, I never compete with reality because reality will always pants you. It'll always beat you. Um, you can never compete. So I've, I actually, my, my last, you know, my last book and my next book have nothing to do with the presidency because I was just like, I can't beat it. So I had to go to different parts of the government because it's just too crazy to be in, in the election <laughs> cycle right now. Yeah. Well, whatever happens today and whatever we all wake up with tomorrow, where do we go from here? Um, I think we have to go back to civility, you know, I mean, I really do. I mean, I feel like that's, that's the, the greatest casualty of this election season is, you know, is I think we spend so much time thinking, you know, we are in this for the right and the other side is evil and in it for wrong. And, you know, when I was doing the book on Martin Luther King Jr., when I did I Am Martin Luther King, there's this great moment when he's a little kid. He's like six years old. His best friend, Dr. King, when he was a little kid, his best friend was a little white boy. And they used to play together. And one day the, the white boy says, I can't play with you anymore. My dad says, I can't play with you anymore. I'm going to go to a different school for white kids. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to a different school, can't play. And, and Martin Luther King, as a kid, says to his parents, like, why won't he play with me anymore? And his parents have to break the news to him and said, it's because you're black and he's white. And little Martin Luther King at six years old is so pissed off. He's so mad. And he's like, I, I'm so mad at that boy. I'm so mad at his dad. I hate them. And his parents teach him in that moment. It's the greatest parenting moment I've ever come across. They teach him those valuable lessons of all. And they say, you know what? Don't show your enemy hate, show him love instead. That love will always be more powerful than hate. And, you know, his mom later tells him also, don't let anyone make you feel like you're lesser than who you are. And to me, Dr. King's entire experience in life come from that moment. And I feel like that's the moment that I feel like we have to get to back again, which is we spent now the better part of a year hating each other and it's gotten us nowhere. Like whoever, you know, we're speaking now a month in advance of when it's happening, but I can guarantee you whatever the result, it's getting us to a spot where half the country still hates the other half. And, um, and, and it's, that, that, that will get us nowhere. It is a race to the bottom. We need to get back to appreciating that both of us are coming at it from different sides. And as in any good argument, the only way to ever get out of it is to realize, you know what, I had some hand in this too, and they had some hand in this, and maybe we can get out together. Yeah. And that's the only way we ever move forward is together. You're here. Um, I, I know we're running out of time with you. I'd like to ask one more question so we don't end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doom and gloom. <laughs> um, <laughs> y- y- way as- to bring the party down, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, aside from your writing, and you know, if you could just take all the books, all the words you've ever written, just set them on the shelf and look the other, look in the other direction. Um, you've still somehow found the time to do some really incredible things. And you, you recovered the original ground zero flag. You saved and restored Jerry Siegel's house. You consulted for Homeland security about real life terrorism. If, if you had never written a word, but still had the opportunity to do all of those things, what would be at the top? Like, what would you have on your tombstone? Oh man, that's a good question. I mean, you know, 
I think that, that working to save the house where Superman was created, that was one of my favorite things I've ever done, you know, because to me, I, the best part of the story is never Superman. The best part of the story is Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. And why? Because we're all Clark Kent. And we all know what it's like to be boring and ordinary and wish we could do something incredible beyond ourselves. So that was, you know, just the super highlight for me. But I don't think, you know, that was until a couple of weeks ago when we were able to help recover the flag from 9-11 that was raised by the firefighters at Ground Zero. And, you know, when we when we were able to pull that one off, I mean, I, for those who don't know, we had a TV show called Lost History, and I told the story of that flag that went missing. It actually was was taken from ground zero after the firefighters raised it. And I said in the camera, please, someone out there, bring it back. We'll give you a reward if you bring it back. Please, someone, you know where it is. I lost a friend named Michelle Heidenberger in 9-11. Please bring it back. And what no one knew is four days later, a guy who identified himself as a former Marine walked into a fire station in Everett, Washington, in, in Washington State, and said, I saw lost history and here's the flag. And we got to, I got to unveil that flag in the 9-11 Museum right before the 15th anniversary of 9-11. And the thrill wasn't that, hey, wow, the world took notice or took you know, pictures or put me in news shows. But the thrill was getting to call um, my friend who passed away, Michelle's husband. And I got to call him up before we announced it to the public and said, listen, I said, Tom, uh, you know, when we did that, when we were searching for the flag, I just got to tell you, I was never searching for everybody because everybody's too big a number. I was always in my head searching for Michelle. That I was like, if I found this, I wanted to find it for Michelle in her honor, for your dead wife. Like, I know it sounds so silly, but I wanted to find it for her. And I have her picture on my desk. I'm actually staring at it right now. Um, and that was who it was for. And he said to me, you know what, Brad, if you told her that, you know what she'd say to you? He, she'd say, good job, Brad, but you didn't do it for me. Who you did it for was all those people out there. There were a hundred mothers who were pregnant on 9-11 whose husbands didn't come home that day and whose kids never will have a father right there. That's who you did it for. All those kids, all those survivors, all those people who are still here today. And that moment was one of those moments where like, again, like you said, take all the work aside, take all the fun aside. None of this was about me, but somehow in some way that even one of those people could get a little bit of closure. That was one of the most, you know, that was beyond what we can, any of us can ever hope to do with our lives. And that was one of those ones that you just felt like, boy, I'm, I'm, I got lucky to be involved with this one. It's amazing. And that is a much better place to end. Yeah. <laughs> Brad, thank you so much. As I mean, no, and thanks like to I all said, the nerds out there who support us. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm a nerd. You know, listen, the, the whole thing about nerds is we know and find each other, right? Like, yeah. that's the yeah. best part. Even if there were no internet, like, we were always, we knew how to find each other at, like, a holiday inn for a comic convention back in the day. <laughs> that's right. But I will say this, is my career... If you look at like the big things that have happened, it's usually because there's some fellow nerd out there who's like, Brad, I just want you to know, like, you're one of us and I'm pulling for you pull for us and we're going to pull for you. And like, that's how like some of these stories get out there or things where we need to recover stuff. It's because someone out there has that same, you know, feeling that we had and knows what it's like when we were younger to like that stuff that no one else liked. And knows what it's like to be that only kid in your school before there was an internet when you liked that crazy ass thing that, you know, no one else agreed with you on. And I love the fact that we all stick together. That's like one of my favorite things. So, uh, you know, I just, just thank you to everyone out there who, who makes up this little universe that we all inhabit together. That's awesome. And that's why you're one of our favorite people. 
Listen, <laughs> vice versa, ma'am. Awesome. And, I, and listen, good. I'm just saying, I am Mr. Rogers. Just, just keep it on the list. <laughs> Please, you don't even have to tell me. I, let me no, let me just tell you. I already have Mr. Rogers. I wanted to do Mr. Rogers after Jim Henson, and they said, you know, the only, if you look in any of my interviews, there's only two people besides my grandfather and mother that I would go back in time to go visit are Mr. Rogers and Jim Henson. <laughs> oh, yeah. And basically, I was like, can we just do Jim, Mr. Rogers? Like, Brad, stop. You can't follow up Jim Henson with Mr. Rogers. Like, I don't see why do. not. It seems like it's the perfect one-two punch. <laughs> I, 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 listen, you do not have to argue that point with me. I'm the guy who, when I go through the Pittsburgh airport, I go and find the red sweater. I know where it's displayed. Oh, man. Like, it's, he's, he's the man to me. He still is. I model my life on him, even more than Jim Henson. Yeah. Um, he's, but he's the one. Yeah, he's a close number two. Jim Henson is still at the top for me, but yeah, I, I mean, I grew <laughs> yeah, up. No, and my, trust me, my mom I, I, him, yeah, no, well said. Thank you guys for doing this, fam. Well, that is episode one zero zero in the books. Can you believe it? I can't. History. It's unbelievable. And at this rate, you know, we're gonna hit two hundred a lot quicker than we hit one hundred. <laughs> I know we have because been doing. The, we've been doing two a days, right? <laughs> two a week, not two, two a day. Two a days. Can you imagine? We'd be oh professional podcasters if we did that. We'd actually maybe know what we were doing. A <laughs> hundred. I mean, yeah, and it's crazy. I've said this before. It's it, you got to qualify qualify that because it's we've done more than a hundred. Right. But it's a hundred interview ep- numbered episode. Yes. yes. Um, it's a lot of people we've talked to. <laughs> it's a lot of people. It's a lot of questions to come up with. And still coming up with more people and finding, you know, and it's like, I feel like we've done this many, but we're just like cracking the cover of the book. You know what I mean? We we still have so many people we can reach out to. I have a list right right. now of at least another hundred people that (laughs) I'd like to reach out to. So um, please, anybody who's listening, if, if you've been a longtime listener, if you just came on recently because of, you know, somebody like Clark Gregg or Joe Hill and, you know, you you followed them and they tweeted us out. And so you came right. on to start listening. Thank you. Welcome. Um, we've seen the numbers continue to rise. So we know that you guys are out there. Um, we have 100 episodes now to go back and to listen to. Um, the quality gets a little bit better as we go. So <laughs> we had some really fantastic guests early on, but I can't vouch for our skill as interviewers right, and, right. and whatnot. But if there's anybody that you really want to hear, if there's anybody that you'd like to listen to, um, you know, some shows that are similar to this, I'm not putting us in the same category as guys like Hardwick and, and Mark Marin. Right. You know, those shows are amazing, but we are a similar type of show where it's yeah. just one inter- you know, a guest comes on and we just we talk about stuff. Um, those guys can obviously pull down much bigger names, mm-hmm. and they do. They pull in you know A list celebrities. Um, we wish we could do that, but we also are very proud of the diversity of the people that we have yes. on the show. Yeah, you know they're not all actors, they're not all authors, they're not all household names. Um, and so, if there's somebody that you want to hear, if there's something that you like, and you say, you know what, I'd love to hear from somebody who makes that thing. That right. person could not be famous. You know, maybe mm-hmm. they, you know, nobody has ever heard their name, but they just happen to be the creative person behind that thing that you love right now. Let us know and we'll reach out and try to get that person on the show. And that's what, I mean, I love interviewing the big, like the big name. You know, we've had a few, we've had some people instantly recognizable, but it's really neat when you get a guy in here or a girl and you know, they've written something or they've created something and no one really knows what goes into it. Right. They don't know the people and the forces behind it. 
and you get to have those stories come out. So that's what's really cool. So if you go through our 100 episodes, I challenge you to just pick somebody you've never heard of before when you look at the list. Look at the what it's about, and if the subject matter interests you, listen to it, because we try to dive in deep with all of them, and pretty much everyone we've interviewed has had great stories to tell. So Yeah. 100! Man, and on I can't to the next. <laughs> on to the next. I can't believe it. I know. It feels like just yesterday when we reached out to each other and be like, hey, yes. you, you want to do a podcast? Yeah, I, I'll never forget that. <laughs> so remember that because we talked about it for a while and then we, yeah, we just kind of let it go. And then you came back to me and was like, you know what? Geek Dad's looking for a podcast to, to be on their network. You want to do it? <laughs> yeah, we had no idea what we were doing. No, no, no. We, we still don't we know still what don't we're know. doing. <laughs> We're still winging it. We're faking it until we make it, baby. <laughs> yeah, it's so awesome. <laughs> so much fun. All right. Well, congratulations, Jamie. Congratulations, Justin. <laughs> Pat ourselves on the back. There you go. 100 is going to go, and good luck to the US of A today. Oh, my God. Thank you. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm laughing. Sorry, I'm coughing. Uh, <laughs> No, but your future really is the world's future. I and mean, whether or not people want to acknowledge that or not, it is. <laughs> what happens affects the entire world. So we're all hoping the USA makes the right choice. If we <laughs> made the wrong choice, for those of you listening in the future, my future, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and if and if the Americans don't know, Justin Trudeau has made it clear that's our prime minister, that the doors are open for Americans to come. <laughs> Sounds good. Oh. I might be giving you a call. See <laughs> yeah, if you yeah. got a spare couch. You can for work. A few you months. can work from home, right? You can absolutely get your health care. Get your. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. All right. So if you want to find us on Twitter, we are at the GBB Podcast as well as Facebook, Facebook.com/slash the GBB Podcast. I'm Justin at 140 Justin C. I'm Jamie at the Roarbots. And thank you for coming by for episode 100. We'll see you on Thursday for 101. Thank you. <laughs> Have a great week. Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.